and welcome to this week's episode of Everything Under the Sun, a weekly podcast answering all the most pressing questions children around the world have about life on Earth. Let's begin with our first question, which is a super interesting one from B. Over to B. Hi, my name's B, and I'm eight. My question is, how can we understand hieroglyphics? Hi Bee, thanks for such a great question. I recorded this question with Bee at the Chipping Norton Literary Festival, where I did an event and children asked me questions. I thought about Bee's question recently as I went to an exhibition at the British Museum all about hieroglyphics. I went there on the opening day and it's wonderful. It's filled with writing in the ancient Egyptian language and tells the story of how we came to understand it. At first, people thought it was just drawings, but now we know that hieroglyphics is a language. And by reading it, we can find out all about the things that ancient Egyptians cared about, what they did, what they read, what they wrote about, how they lived their lives. It's a brilliant exhibition and it was organised by a curator called Ilona Rigolsky. A curator is someone who looks after objects at the museum and writes and thinks about them and even organises exhibitions using them. So I thought she would be the perfect person to answer Bea's question. Over to Ilona. Hi Bea, my name is Ilona Rigolsky and I'm the curator of Egyptian written culture at the British Museum and I'm also the curator of our current exhibition, Hieroglyphs Unlocking Ancient Egypt. Your question is very interesting, but also a little bit difficult. And it's also a question that is addressed in our exhibition. How can we understand hieroglyphs? We can now read hieroglyphs pretty well, because my predecessors worked for centuries and thousands of years, actually, to understand this difficult script. A very important moment was the discovery of the Rosetta Stone, one of our most popular objects in the British Museum. The Rosetta Stone shows the same text in ancient Greek and in hieroglyphs and in another Egyptian script, which we call Demotic. It's a handwritten version of hieroglyphs. And because ancient Greek was known, the scholars of the time could use that to decipher hieroglyphs. It was still very difficult because hieroglyphs were very different from the languages that we use, that you and I use today. We speak and write in a, in a language and a script that is alphabetic. But ancient Egyptian was not alphabetic. We have many different signs with many different functions. And we have one letter signs, which you could call alphabetic. For example, an owl is the letter M. But we also have two letter signs, such as a depiction of a human face. This was hair, HR. We also have three letter signs. For example, the vulture, which is moot, M-O-T, which means mother. We ha- also have silent signs that we shouldn't read. And these signs are enhancing the meaning of what proceeds. And these signs are also very easy for us because they always sit at the end of the word. Because the Egyptians didn't space their words. So they wrote in one long line without putting spaces between the words. So you have to be well trained in hieroglyphs in order to understand where the word stops. For example, the vulture, the word for mother, mood, would be followed by a silent sign, which we call a classifier. 
and that silent sign would probably be a seated female person to indicate that the word that proceeds is a female person, mother. We also have the beautiful lizard, which we pronounce Asha. The lizard or Asha means plenty. If plenty or Asha is followed by a seated man with his hand to his mouth, the word means someone who speaks a lot or someone who is very talkative. So it's a very complex, almost rebus-like uh, way of writing, which took a very long time to understand. And still today there's many hieroglyphs that we cannot read, but we are working very hard and like our predecessors, step by step, we will eventually find out how to pronounce every single hieroglyph. Thank you so much, Alola, for your wonderful answer about hieroglyphics. I hope that answered your question, B, and maybe you'll get to see the show at the British Museum. Send me a photo if you go, or else just look it up on the British Museum's website if you can't make it. And now for our second question, which is a very important one that comes from Matteo. Over to Matteo. Hello, Molly. My name is Matteo, and, and I'm five years old, and I live in South Fridford. I, li- I like football and reading about animals. My question is, who's the first author to write a dictionary? Bye. Hi, Matteo. Thank you for that wonderful question. Well... Different cultures have come up with different kinds of dictionaries over the thousands and thousands of years. But I think maybe because you're living in England, you might be asking about the first English language dictionary. And that was written by a man named Robert Cowdray. It was published in London in 1604. It was called the Table Alphabetical with two L's on the end. And it was filled with around 3,000 words. Each one, he gave a brief description explaining what the word meant. Nowadays, we think of dictionaries as including all the usual words from apple to zoos. But in the early ones, like this one by Cowdrey, it was full of tricky words that lots of people didn't even know existed. Because in the 16th and 17th centuries, the English language was getting bigger and bigger as it started bringing in words from other languages like Latin, Greek, French and Hebrew. Cowardry's idea was to help people by writing down words with explanations of what they meant so readers could keep up with the new words coming into the English language that they had never heard of. The most famous English dictionary today is probably the Oxford English Dictionary. Now, work first began on that in 1879. Five years later, the first letter was published. All the A's from A to Ant. And it took about until 1928 to finish all the other letters. That is an epic undertaking. It took such a long time. It was called A New English Dictionary on Historical Principles, and it was filled with more than 400,000 words and phrases. Today, the Oxford English Dictionary is one of the most well-known dictionaries. Did you know that Tolkien author of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit worked on the Oxford English Dictionary. He worked on the letter W. He looked into words like waggle, walnut, walrus and waistcoat. He worked on the Oxford English Dictionary and then later wrote The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and so later on the OED had to add words from his books including the word Hobbit. 
other countries wrote dictionaries before the English language ones. There are tablets in the very first form of writing made out of clay with the alphabet called cuneiform on it, which we have talked about in earlier episodes and you can read all about in my book, Everything Under the Sun. These tablets have got cuneiform words and then the translations in other languages which were around at the time. So they're not really dictionaries exactly, but they're like translation tablets. The very first dictionary in China was called the Eira, E-Y-R-A. This was in the 3rd century BC, but it wasn't a straightforward dictionary. It's full of words that explain the meanings of words that you'll find in important Chinese books so people could understand the words when they were reading the stories. Did you know that as well as straightforward dictionaries like the Oxford English Dictionary, which explain the words in a language, there are dictionaries of all kinds of things, from slang to words used by pirates. I once visited the home of a lady called Madeline in New York, whose apartment was so full of dictionaries she had nowhere for guests to sit down. She decorated her home with photos of people who wrote different dictionaries and she had thousands of dictionaries of all kinds. She showed me ones that were full of words spoken in Australia by convicts who were sent from jail in England out to live in Australia. She had another full of words that were used by highwaymen and thieves. And all of these dictionaries were filled with glimpses of worlds to be discovered through the words that they used at the time. Really, it's possible to write a book about dictionaries, a dictionary of dictionaries. Maybe you could write that one day, Matteo. But I hope this answer helps with your question. And thank you for sending it in. It's a tricky one to answer. But yes, the first English language dictionary was by Robert Cowdrey, Table Alphabetical. And you can see a copy of it in the Bodleian Library in Oxford. Thanks, Matteo. Our next question is about something we can use to write words. It's not about pencils, quills, chalk or reeds to press into clay tablets. It's about pens and it comes from Ted. Over to Ted. Hello, my name's Ted and my favourite things are Lego and gymnastics. I'm four years old and I live in England and... My question is, why do pens dry out? Hi Ted, thanks for sending me your great question. It's very annoying when your pen runs out, isn't it? Well, the answer to this depends on what type of pen you're using. Felt tip pens will dry out simply because they run out of ink. But ballpoint pens are a little more interesting. Sometimes ballpoint pens look like they still have lots of ink in them, but they don't work. And here's why. When a ballpoint pen is out in the air, the ink inside it hardens and clogs up the pen's tip. If the ink has dried up and it's a bit thicker, it's more difficult for it to run out onto the paper when you're trying to write, because it's been hardened by the air. Also, if air gets into the ink cartridge, it can block the ink from flowing to the tip. This happens when a pen hasn't been used for a while, so that's why you have to scribble to get the ink flowing again. Ballpoint pens can also stop working if they've been stored somewhere too cold. This is because the liquid ink becomes a little bit more solid when it's cold and it stops it from flowing freely. So once you've scribbled a lot and held the pen in your hand, it will warm up and the ink will start flowing. Unless, of course, it's run out of ink. I hope that answers your question, Ted, and thanks for sending it in. 
Right, that's it for this week. Wishing you all a lovely week. A huge thank you to the wonderful Ilona Rigolsky for talking to us about hieroglyphics. Do check out her exhibition at the British Museum if you're in London or have a look online. Also, a big thank you to B, Matteo and Ted for this week's excellent questions. If you have a question you would like answered on everything under the sun, do ask grown-up to borrow their phone, say your name, your age, your country that you live in and and then ask me your question. Send me the audio recording to molly at everythingunderthesun.co.uk. There's lots of info about how to do it on the show's website, everythingunderthesun.co.uk. As I've mentioned, I'm writing a new book, so if you send me a great question soon, it could be in the book. We're really trying to find out questions all about festivals, food, culture, different habitats, as the book is going to be a glorious celebration of the world. So think of a question and send it in to me at molly at everythingunderthesun.co.uk. And do check out the first book, Everything Under the Sun which is out now. You will love it. Wishing you all a wonderful week filled with lots of fun writing, drawing and learning a new word or two. Why not open a dictionary and learn a word on the page it opens at? I'll be back next week answering more questions from children around the world in another episode of Everything Under the Sun. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.